Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I am Brian Barnett, the creator and the host. I hope all you folks are having a wonderful time out there in quarantine land and uh, not going too crazy. I have been staying pretty busy. No complaints there. I've had plenty to do. My schedule has been upended a little bit with this quarantine stuff, and I don't want to go into that. It involves my personal life a little bit, and uh, (laughs) not that I don't like uh, sharing my personal life with you, but uh, there are limits. Let me tell you about my website, full free resources over at thelastsymptom.com. Run over there. Take advantage of the, the free article library there and the other resources. While you're at thelastsymptom.com, if you'd like to leave me a, a modest donation, I would thank you very much for that. And uh, if you would like to schedule a one-on-one conversation with me, we can do that too. Everything can be scheduled right from thelastsymptom.com. Now, I wanted to address a couple of things that have been brought up here recently, or thoughts that I've had as I've been dealing with people, and, uh, you know, straighten some things out. Now, I'm not sure how good it's going to do because we're, you know, we've got a library now two years of the of episodes of this podcast. And what are the odds that everybody is going to hear this episode and this is going to get straight, these things are going to get straightened out? I don't know. But they are things that I need to address. First thing, I don't listen to what anybody else is saying on the subject of borderline personality disorder recovery. Now, there was a time where I was eating all that stuff up. And that time was about seven or eight or even nine, ten years ago. But now, I don't sit around Googling the subject of borderline personality disorder, going to the bookstore, buying books on borderline personality disorder. I don't search for it on YouTube and sit around watching people's videos about borderline personality disorder. I I don't consume information about borderline personality disorder. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, this is, this guy's so arrogant, but arrogance has nothing to do with it. I mean, if you've been following me for any length of time, I keep telling you, I do not have borderline personality disorder. I had it for 35 years of my life. For seven years, I spent figuring out how to get rid of it. And it's it, there's no big mystery to getting rid of borderline personality disorder. It's not even all that complicated. It takes some time. A person has to really go through some bleak years that seem to drag on for a long time. And maybe life during those years is tough, 
but the actual work once you're on the right track once you once you understand what borderline personality disorder is and what it's not we're not talking about anything impossible here it's not even really that complicated to get rid of if you think it's that complicated I almost guarantee that your perspective on what it is is wrong your idea the the idea that you're walking around with about what borderline personality disorder is its very nature that is off if you just think it's unbelievable that somebody would recover from it or that you think it's impossible for you to recover from it it's not impossible it's not even that complicated and if you think it's complicated you're misunderstanding the very nature of what it is you're dealing with but now back to the point I keep telling you I don't have borderline personality disorder I figured out all those riddles and I cured it I cured myself of it I also tell you that I'm not a perfect person and that that's part of just being a person what do I mean when I say that I no longer have borderline personality disorder at all? Does that mean I never get angry? Never get sad? I never do anything I, that I regret? No, and I've, and I've explained this a thousand times. It simply means that the causes that once motivated me or provoked me into certain behaviors and thinking and feelings, those underlying reasons don't exist anymore. I don't get angry for the same reasons that I would get angry when I had borderline personality disorder. I don't have compulsions. I don't have unhealthy compulsions. When I do something, it's because I want to do something, knowing what I'm doing. It means I don't live on a foundation of shame. So notice what I'm saying. I have regrets from time to time. I do things that I regret. I say things that I regret, or I don't say things and I regret not having said something that I could have said. But I don't feel ashamed afterwards. So shame has very little control in my life anymore. And, you know, shame is a human emotion, and I ex do experience it sometimes, but I recognize what it is almost immediately, and I reject it. What is shame? Shame is the feeling that there's something wrong with you. There, it's, the, it's, the, it's feeling bad about yourself. And I never feel bad about myself anymore. When I start to feel bad about myself, I recognize that that's shame. I reject it. The result of this is that I get a lot of people saying, look at you. You're a narcissist. Yeah, I, I've got a person who follows me all over social media all over my uh, last symptom accounts and she keeps sending me emails about how narcissistic I am granted she's never met me in her entire life she and I have never had a phone conversation I think she might have been a member of my group at one time and now she follows me around she says uh, to tell me how narcissistic I am and uh, what she's seeing is somebody who likes himself. You know, that's a major difference. 
from before when I had borderline personality disorder and the thing that would motivate me and it would affect my behaviors and my thoughts and my feelings was that I, did, I didn't like myself. In fact, I loathed myself just like anybody who has borderline personality disorder. I don't loathe myself anymore and I don't dislike myself anymore. I genuinely like myself. So these people who say, Brian, well, he's such a narcissist. These are unhealthy people who do not know the difference between somebody who's very healthy, and that health, by the way, is built on genuinely liking oneself. So if you don't genuinely like yourself, you're never going to be emotionally healthy. It, It is the secret to emotional health. So they can't tell the difference between that and narcissism. From their perspective, anybody who doesn't grovel and hate themselves must be a narcissist. And I've noticed that, by the way, with women who have been in relationships with men that after the relationship is over, they designate as narcissists. And suddenly every single person that that woman meets, if he does not, you know, dislike himself, if he just has a healthy foundation of liking himself suddenly he's a narcissist everybody who doesn't hate themselves is a narcissist and you know ladies if if you're in that group of women who was in a relationship you feel like you got burned you've designated that person a narcissist and now everybody who doesn't simply just despise themselves is narcissist if that's your perspective you're wrong you know, the real question is, why were you with that person? What defect about you caused you to think it was okay to be with a person like that in the first place? Why did you stay so long? You know, whatever underlying unhealth you're living with that put you with a narcissist is still your unhealth. And it's probably dislike for yourself. That's probably what it comes down to. You dislike yourself. Let me say it again. In order to be emotionally healthy, you must genuinely like yourself. Genuinely liking yourself is an imperative requirement to being emotionally healthy. Narcissism is not emotionally healthy. And it's also not just a matter of somebody who likes themselves or is comfortable with themselves or doesn't dislike and despise himself. So narcissism and a healthy love for oneself are two entirely different things. But to the person who doesn't know any better, you know, if I if I behave and talk as if I'm perfectly comfortable with myself, to an unhealthy person who knows no better, who has no clue what emotional health is, that might look like narcissism. Right? But are they one and the same? No, not, not by a long shot. The, the whole point of it is, you know, if I'm the guy that you listen to because he recovered from borderline personality disorder, how do you think I did that? I did it by discrediting 90% of the information that, that I came into contact with. Now, that's just the reality, folks. 
there is an unlimited amount of information out there and people talking on this subject and only a fraction of any of it is worth your time so I want you to imagine this you've been planning on building a house for forever what do you do in the lead up to building that house you buy up every book you can think of right you talk to as many carpenters as you can do you you talk to uh, you know a thousand different people get their opinions you go on youtube you look at all the the ways that you can build homes and all the different designs that are possible and all this stuff you do all this in the lead up to building your house but what happens after you have done the work and your house is built two years later are you still looking up every youtube video you can on how to build your house are you still checking out every book from the library you possibly can about how to build that house no and why not because the house is built you already did it you've done it so the motivation for looking up all those YouTube videos and checking out all those books and asking your friends for advice and you know all this stuff looking up the cost of materials that motivation no longer exists at all <laughs> right well are you beginning to understand why I don't watch YouTube videos about borderline personality disorder I don't research to find out what the latest big head with uh, the PhD is saying about borderline personality disorder. I'm not even curious. You know why? Because my house is already built. I already did it. I don't have borderline personality disorder. I'm not curious about how it's cured because I know how it's cured. I've already done it. So I hope, I hope that illustration there helps you understand why it's pretty offensive to me when you come up to me and say, um, hey, have you read this book by so-and-so about borderline personality disorder? No, because why would I? Why would I? I don't need that information. I'm not curious about that information. I've already done it. My house is built. I have no need for that stuff anymore. And, um, you know... I also have no drive whatsoever to compare my work to somebody else's work. The only thing that I do care is that, you know, primarily the information out there is false. So when I'm exposed to some of that stuff inadvertently, you know, people send me stuff or whatever, or they come into my group with erroneous ideas, and I'm exposed to those false ideas, which I'm familiar with, because remember, I had to sort through all that stuff. Well, then my interest is in showing people why that information is false so well that they reject it once and for all. So it's no longer misdirecting them or distracting them from maintaining the course that they need to maintain. So if you ever have an interaction with me, the, the best way to get on my bad side is to recommend a book to me to read about borderline personality disorder or to ask me, hey, what do you think about so-and-so's work about borderline personality disorder? First of all, I don't know the person. 
I haven't read the book. I'm not going to read the book. There's no reason for me to. How many times have I told you guys that I don't do this work for myself? I do it for your benefit. I don't do it for myself. I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm not trying to figure out these riddles. I already figured them out. It's already behind me. My life is already completely free of that. I know how I did it. So I don't need to sit around. And by the way, not only do I know how I did it, but I know what other people were saying that was erroneous that would have kept me mired in that for the rest of my life if I had listened to them. So I know I already know what the majority of people are telling you. If you want to waste your time with them, if you just love the variety and the endless number of options that you can draw on out there, that's up to you. I don't think it's very wise. This is a case where more is not better. You know, there was a guy who attended my two-week course back in the wintertime. Always coming to me. What do you think about what this person says? And, hey, have you heard about this person? And, hey, I've been investigating this, and I've been investigating that. You know, what it comes down to is that a person just doesn't want to do the work. But by exploring these endless numbers of voices on the subject, they feel like they're doing some work, right? But they're not. They're not doing anything. They're just delaying, delaying, delaying misdirecting, misdirecting, misdirecting their attention. The secret to recovery is not forever listening to what everybody has to say on the subject. The secret to recovery is finding somebody you can trust, and, you know, that's why I'm here. Hopefully that's me. But if it's not, that's fine. (laughs) You know? I mean, I'm invested in your recovery for as much as you're invested in me, basically. If you never recover, it's no skin off my back. As cold as that might sound, it's the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority in practice, which I live every day. And if you want to know more about the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority, well, go to thelastsymptom.com, read the article about it, or go back to the episode of the podcast where I discuss that. It's not cold of me to say, you go and do whatever you want to do. I'm telling you, the whole reason I'm doing this work at all is so you have the information you do need and none of the information you don't need. Here's the place to be, right here. And if you focus on the information that I'm giving you and you spend time ruminating on it, and you spend time doing the inner work that, I'm, that I constantly tell you about, you will recover from borderline personality disorder. If you don't ruminate, if you don't stay focused on this source of information, if you are constantly distracting yourself with the endless numbers of other sources of information on this subject, I, you know, what are the odds that you're going to recover? I mean, it's a guess. I don't want to say you won't. But... It's definitely taking the long way around. You know, it's like if I give you a map and I say, look, I'll meet you at this store up here. And I point to the store and there's a, a, a main highway. It goes straight to the store. 
isn't that the most rational route to take? By not being content, by not being content to, look, to hear what you don't want to hear, and then just doing the work and saying, well, I want a, I want a third opinion and a fourth opinion and a tenth opinion and a thirtieth opinion and a ninetieth opinion. You know, that's really what you're doing when you've spent the last year continuously researching other voices on this subject. Basically what you're doing is if you're ever going to get to that store on the map, you're taking the longest possible route imaginable. You're going off the map, on all these back roads, darting off here, darting off there. You want to see this and you want to see that. And, you know, you're kind of working your way up to the destination. But, man, it's it's questionable about whether you're ever actually going to get there. So don't ask me what I think about what somebody else is saying about borderline personality disorder and recovery because I don't know them. I don't care about them. I'm not curious. I'm not comparing myself with what other people are saying on the subject. I don't need their information. Again, every time I say this, people accuse me of being arrogant and, and prideful but if you stop and think about it for a minute there's there's arrogance and pride have nothing to do with it uh, you can tell I'm frustrated about this because people keep recommending things to me and the question that always pops into my head is why are, what do they think I do with my time why would I why would I need that book and if they think I need that book, why are they listening to me? Aren't they listening to me to get answers to the questions that they've got? So if I'm a source of information for them, but they think that I need to read somebody else's book, why are they even using me as a source of information at all? It, it, does, it makes no sense. It, it, it makes no sense. All right, enough ranting about that. Now let me talk about this. I get messages from around the world of people saying, Brian, help me. Help me. I can't take much of this anymore. I don't know what to do. I can't take much of this anymore, Brian. Please help me. Now, often, when I get these messages, it comes in the form of email, comes in the form of they find me somewhere on one of my messaging uh, apps. Wherever they can find me, they'll send me these messages. Brian, please help me. Please, Brian, I don't know what to do. Don't know how much more of this I can take. Now, here's the problem I have with that. First of all, I have a method set up so that you can contact me to talk to me about anything you want to talk about. In fact, I've been so thoughtful about it <laughs> that I've set it up with scheduling software. So you can actually create an appointment with me on the day and the very hour of your choosing. And when that day and that hour comes, I have whatever I had planned, I've pushed to the side and you get my complete and total attention. Of course, what I'm talking about is my website, thelastsymptom.com. That is the only proper channel for you to reach out for an in-depth one-on-one conversation about this subject 
with me. It supports my work. It allows me to do this. When you schedule that appointment and you pay for it, that allows me to do this podcast. It allows me to write the articles. It allows me to pay for and upkeep my website. It allows me to help people who can't afford to pay me for my time. So it's a little offensive whenever anybody reaches out to me and goes around that that one proper channel for having those sorts of conversations with me. It's, I find it offensive. Now, I also understand that when people are in pain and life is chaotic and gloomy and scary and people's emotions are all worked up, that maybe they sort of mindlessly forget about the site or, you know, they just, they're hurting, so they just reach out in whatever way that first pops into their head. So I can understand that. But here's the second point that I'd like to make about this. I'm not a therapist. So if you're in a crisis situation where you just don't feel like you can take it anymore, and you're reaching out to me, you're reaching out to the wrong person. And so, you know, that's the point I want to make. I'm not your therapist. I'm somebody who cares, who has done this before. I was, I was in that spot that you're in. I'm grateful I'm not in that spot anymore. I know what I had to do to get away out of there and find genuine inner contentment. And I want to help you get there. But the work that you do with me is the slow and steady long game. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, it's not the 50-yard dash. This is a marathon of work that you're going to be doing over the next couple or few years, all right? And I'm helping you with that work, the real work. If your emotions are all worked up and you're just feeling crazy, then I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy for you in that moment. Now, here's my third point, all right? There is a third point to this. Almost inevitably, when these people reach out to me, who I, I'm, I care about, but first of all, they've gone through a channel that I don't accept for, for people that I help, all right? Second of all, they've reached out to me at the wrong time for the wrong reasons, all right? Thirdly, the third point is that when I say why aren't you talking to your therapist? They say, I don't have one. (laughs) I don't have a therapist. I say, well, have you done this and have you done this? No, I haven't done that, and I haven't done that other thing. Okay? Well, my question for you then is, (laughs) you're not doing anything you could be doing. What do you expect? What do you expect? I'll tell you what they expect. They expect me to grab them by the hand and do their recovery for them. So the third point is, if you're not doing everything you could be doing for yourself, don't reach out to me. Don't reach out to me if you're not doing 
the things you could be doing for yourself. One lady, just uh, this, it was either this week or last week, uh, reached out to me, oh, I, I just need your help. I'm, I can't take this anymore. And I said, why are you reaching out to me and not your therapist? I don't have a therapist. I said, well, that's the first thing you need to do. Get a therapist. I don't want one, she says. If she doesn't want a ther- if she doesn't have a therapist and she doesn't want a therapist, when she should have a therapist, somebody who's right there in her town that she can just talk to anytime and can help her through these crisis situations, why is she reaching out to me? Why does she think I'm going to continue that conversation? I, you know, I ended the conversation right there. Okay, have a good life. Bloop. The, this whole disorder, borderline personality disorder, is built on the idea that somebody is going to rescue you, right? Nobody's going to rescue you. I tell you the things you need to be doing, and if you're not doing those things, what else can I do for you? We have two years' worth of podcast episodes now for the last symptom where I have addressed so many elements of recovery and of helping you understand why you do certain things, why you have certain compulsions, what's underlying all that, where that comes from, who caused those things, how you need to begin to reevaluate those relationships and redefine them. I've talked to you about practical things that you can do day by day, every day, to get an upper hand on some of the symptoms and side effects of this disorder while they're happening, you know, which are not magic. They're just very practical uh, things that you can do. I've told you both what you can do in the moment and the long game, you know, the, the real thing that you need to be ad- addressing and changing. But in the meantime, these, these smaller things that you can be doing at the same time, I've made myself available for every conversation that you'd want to have. I understand that some people can't afford an hour phone call. Well, let me tell you this. I've n- I never, if I don't have a phone, if I don't have a conversation scheduled immediately after your scheduled call, those fo- the phone calls I have never last just an hour. And anybody who's had a phone call with me can attest to that. They've gone two and three hours regularly. But also, I've made it clear that I'm very sympathetic to anybody who can't afford that sort of thing and to reach out to me and explain your situation, and I will schedule a call with you if, if you're not just taking advantage of that, that arrangement. But also, my website makes it available for benefactors to sponsor phone calls for other people. Right? So I've been using that as often as anybody who has uh, contributed to that. I have definitely applied that to people who need it, who could not have afforded to have a phone conversation with me for themselves. Now, in this past um, two-week course, right, I told you that I would reserve two seats for two individuals who could not afford to pay to join that class. I ended up extending the offer to four people who could not afford to attend that class. 
and the fourth person came the first night, dropped off after an hour, and I never saw her again. How much time do you think I'm going to dedicate to her in the future? How much of my time and energy do you think that I'm going to put aside for that person? Probably none. Probably none. She didn't appreciate what I was offering her. The, the great opportunity she had to be in that course. And, you know, the people who did pay to be there had no regrets that they did. So that was the one bad experience from that two-week course, was that I extended an offer to a person who I felt compassion for. I felt like it would do her a lot of good. And her reason for not being in the class for the whole time that night was that her husband surprised her with an anniversary dinner or something like that. And she never came back. For a dinner, she gave up this two-week opportunity to really build a foundation that she could continue building upon to her everlasting benefit for many years. And she gave it up for a dinner. It was worth $750, that seat, that I offered her for free. So this is an attitude that I keep coming across where people, um, they don't appreciate what I've already done. You know, let's go back to the people who reach out to me. They don't go through the proper channels. They don't schedule an appointment with me. They reach out to me. They want me to exert my time and energy to save them, but they haven't even listened to all the episodes of this podcast. They're not even in the group because they don't want to create a profile for whatever reason. They haven't read all my articles. But they want me to expend more energy and time exerting the effort for them that they should be exerting for themselves. So I've already put, you know, thousands at this point of hours into this work. It would be beneficial for everybody to ask themselves, am I really taking advantage of what I could be taking advantage of here? Are there things I could be doing for myself that I'm not doing? These things should be asked before reaching out to me to save you. These things should be asked before reaching out for anybody to save you because nobody's going to save you. If you get saved, it's going to be because you saved yourself. Until you get on your feet and pointed in the right direction and feel like you've really got a deep understanding of what it is you're dealing with here, and that you're moving in the right direction. You don't have to be at the destination. You just have to be moving in the right direction firmly. Until that happens, all of you need therapists. You need somebody who can listen to you, if nothing else. If nothing else, you need somebody who can just listen to you, non-judgmentally. All of you should have read all of the articles. There's not that many articles, you know, over at thelastsymptom.com. I think there's five or six pages of uh, two or three articles each, you know. So it's not like <clears throat> you can never get through them. You should be listening to every single episode of this podcast. There's gems and and even the the ones that that aren't that great, you know, that are that are not as great as the other episodes. Even those less great episodes have gems 
And at this point, two years in, I don't think anybody needs to be listening to them in order, necessarily. I'd say listen to the first five, six, seven of them in order. After that, bounce around to the subjects that interest you the most on any given day. Just to summarize that up, every single person who writes to me, hoping I will save them, better first do it through the proper channel, and second, they better be doing whatever they could be doing for themselves. Because if I find out in the course of, if I offer you a conversation, a one-on-one conversation, we end up talking, and I find out that you've been following me for the past two years, but you haven't even read my articles, and you only infrequently listen to this podcast, you're not going to be on my good side. I don't... Here's my policy. I never exert... I never... When I say never, I mean never... I never exert myself more for somebody else than the energy and time they are exerting for themselves. All right? So that is my policy. You better be doing at least three times more for yourself than the energy and time that I'm going to invest in you, or I'm not going to invest that time in you. Now, let's close here with a riddle. Somebody asked this question. I had presented a scenario, and the person asked this question. I'm confused. If the person in the scenario you described loves his wife, why would he continually do things to upset her? If the man loves his wife, why would he continually do things to hurt her? Well, it's a contradiction for a reason. But the answer to the riddle is incredibly simple. The only thing that complicates people's ability to see the answer to this riddle is denial. The answer is that he doesn't love his wife. I told you it was simple. Now, you, you want to rebel against it. <laughs> you want to rebel against the idea because, well, it's, that's just not a very pleasant idea, is it? But re- remember what denial is. Denial is when we allow our feelings to reinterpret reality for us. Now, have you ever heard the following saying? It goes like this. When somebody consistently behaves as if they don't love you, Believe them. That's something to think about. Remember, authentic love always behaves in certain ways and never in others. And there are an endless number of different types of artificial quote-unquote love with their endless selfish and unhealthy reasons for existing. So people thinking that they're in love is not in any way evidence that anybody is really experiencing love. So then the person says, well, thank you. I was running scenarios through my head thinking, how much do I respect and love myself in order to keep a relationship like that going? And I replied, you're on the right track. Now think about this. How do we naturally treat anything or anybody that we genuinely care deeply for? Imagine a favorite purse or 
Think of a child. Or imagine a new car that you just bought. Isn't it true that we don't tolerate others mistreating these things? Instead, we step in to protect and defend these things. We try to get these things away from the source of any dangerous or negative or harmful influence, don't we? So here's another riddle for you. Why would anybody who genuinely likes herself or himself remain in situations where somebody else is detracting from their happiness more than contributing to it? Again, the answer to the riddle is only hard if a person is clinging to denial. Otherwise, the answer to the riddle is not hard at all. It's instead obvious. The answer is the person does not genuinely like himself or herself. Otherwise, his or her actions would reflect it. Okay, one last question and answer. Somebody says, uh, this is likely being covered, but I'm looking for advice on coping with a partner who I believe could have borderline personality disorder. I'm not a doctor or therapist. But this person won't acknowledge the possibility that she has borderline personality disorder or seek help. And here's my reply. I'm not in the business of trying to salvage relationships. I'm in the business of helping people salvage themselves as individuals. The business of helping people as individuals experience and achieve genuine inner contentment for themselves as individuals. So the best thing I can think of to address the subject that the person brought up is for him to examine or re-examine the subject of the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. I mentioned it earlier in this program. An article about it's available at thelastsymptom.com, and of course, I did an episode of The Last Symptom weekly podcast on it. But basically the point is this. This person's focus is in the wrong place. The partner is responsible for her recovery or her lack of recovery. This guy's job is to make decisions based on the reality he's dealing with right now. In other words, to look at the reality of the health of his partner, look at the reality of whether she's doing anything about it or not, and make decisions based on that. Emotionally healthy people don't choose relationships with unhealthy people. And emotionally healthy people also do not base decisions for their own life on imaginary what-ifs when it involves other people. Emotionally healthy people accept the reality that they're actually dealing with, not some alternate reality that they can imagine. They make concrete decisions for themselves based on concrete reality. And this is for everybody. You are not defined by whatever relationship you're in. How many times do I have to say it? Each one of us are defined by we, ourselves. It doesn't matter if Sue has been married for 30 years. 
Her husband, Bob, does not define who and what Sue is. Sue still defines herself and her life and only Sue. So, my recommendation to this feller is for him to let the partner figure it out for herself or not figure it out for herself, but to leave it up to her. For him to stop focusing on what he has no right to be meddling in and to answer some questions for himself like, why am I trying to live somebody else's life for her? And while I'm focused on what she should be doing, how many of my own issues are going unaddressed, which only I myself can address? And there are other questions like, what issues am I living with that make me think that continuing to be with this person and continuing to get into this thing deeper and deeper is such a grand and wonderful idea? Let me repeat it again. Emotionally healthy people do not get into committed relationships with people who are not emotionally healthy. Think about the implication of that. What it means is, if you're one of these people who are doing this, and up until now you've just thought you're just the epitome of good health, the facts say otherwise. You're doing something that's emotionally unhealthy for yourself. So how can you be as emotionally healthy as you think you are? Emotionally healthy people do not get into committed relationships with people who are not emotionally healthy. If during courtship, and this happens all the time, hey, I'm trying to help my boyfriend. I've promised him we're going to stick through this. We're going to work this thing out together. It's, it's her boyfriend. It's her boyfriend. He's got borderline personality disorder. She thinks she's the epitome of good health, but she's deciding to remain in this relationship with somebody who she is not obligated in any way to, to be with. She's choosing it for herself out of quote-unquote love to begin a life with this person who she knows is emotionally unhealthy out of some twisted, demented sense of honor. The, the whole basis that she's working off of, she's feeling good about herself for it. But only an emotionally unhealthy person would be viewing the thing that way. There is nothing romantic about a girlfriend calling me up and saying, I've promised my boyfriend who has borderline personality disorder, we're going to work through this together. There is no doing it together. If he has borderline personality disorder, guess who can cure his borderline personality disorder? Not you, sister. Only him. This is not tag this is not a tag team sport. So either he's going to do it or he's not. And if you're doing part of the work for him, supposedly, you're hurting him. You're not helping him. How are you hurting him? You're enabling him. You're hurting him in the same way that people call me up and want me to do their work for them that only they can do. As long as you're carrying the load... He is not going to do the work that only he can do and that he has to do for himself. 
the very act of choosing to remain in such relationships is an act, is an emotionally unhealthy act. It's a detrimental act that will bring much more frustration, disorder, and pain than it's ever, ever going to bring long-term contentment. And you walking into it, eyes wide open, doing this to yourself, thinking that you are emotionally healthy or thinking that you're doing something righteous or admirable. There's nothing admirable about it for anybody who knows what this all means. And no, not even for love. Love, this artificial, twisted love. Unhealthy, fake love. I'll tell you why. Because emotionally healthy people don't love, quote, unquote, others at the detriment of true love and respect for themselves. They don't do it. So that's the program for today. By the way, the dandelion wine this year is turning out perfect, just perfect. So I'm really excited about that. It's still down in the basement fermenting. And I hope to have some uh, updated videos for y'all to see about that uh, pretty soon. Mm -hmm.